Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Long Talk here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Hi, I'm Paul Baines. Uh, the founder of New Zealand Sports Radio, and we have got a fascinating talk today. We are not going to get through everything this gentleman has done because he's got 26 entries on his LinkedIn. So clearly, uh, he's had a full life and done a lot of um, different things. Uh, but as you can probably tell by the jerseys I've got in the background, yes, we're heading over into the world of cricket. Um, and I'm being joined by Andrew Walton. How are you doing, sir? Paul, thank you for having me here. I'm wonderful. How are you doing today? Not so bad, not so bad. It's apparently our last day of sunshine before six days of rain. So um, making the most of it by sitting inside and uh, having video conversations with people, um, obviously. Um, so we'll get on to what you'll do to, to the sort of uh, the blind cricket um, stuff later. But what was your sure. first ever sporting memory? Uh, first ever sporting memory of playing or observing? Either, whichever, whatever came first. Oh, would be probably listening to the radio in a small country town growing up and uh, Australia playing England overseas on the, I think it would have been probably the BBC back then. Um, And then going down to the local nets with my dad and brother and just having a hit as you you do and then trying to be a big boy one day. Oh, so test match special. Oh, wow. Henry Blofeld, actually probably before. Oh, um, oh. We're going a long, long, long way down back to the early 70s there, Paul. So um, this is is before it was even really shown on TV. So, yeah. We've been about 1972, 73, I reckon. So it's always been cricket? uh... Uh, uh, I grew up in a small country town called Marupna, which is a few hours north of Melbourne. And as as just generally in in country life, you'd play cricket, you'd play football, being Australian rules, uh, basketball, probably the three main sports in our area. And then you'd drift around, you'd play golf, tennis, hockey, whatever sort of generally all, all ball sports. Yeah, cricket was the one I probably gravitated more more towards, I think, earlier. I was lucky I had a very, very, very good coach and, and teacher and a fellow called Max Connors early on who took a lot of great care with with, with teaching us the, the, the basic fundamentals of the game. And um, I think because that experience for me was so good, uh, it, 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 it connected with me deeply early on. Now, for those, anyone who's not been to the state of Victoria... Mm-hmm. Um, I went there for the for the Lions tour, uh, what it be uh, um, six eight years ago now. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me as I'm driving around is that not only does every high school, primary school have a set of AFL posts, but so does every single kindergarten, which just mm-hmm. blew my mind. That yes, you basically you can't walk down a street without seeing 
um, AFL posts somewhere. They, they, they do a fantastic job um, with the youth and bringing uh, and developing the sport that way, don't they? Yeah, they certainly do. And, and being fortunate in a country town, we had a basketball court and a tennis court. So there was never an excuse. Like, so within your immediate visibility, there was always a space to go and do something of, of some sort. Um, and you'd have those who would want to do things either individually or in small groups, so maybe a basketball type situation, and those that would gravitate towards the more team orientated. So you'd play a cricket match or kick to kick footy or goals in, as we used to sort of call it in the schoolyard, where someone stands in the goal square and kicks the ball out and X number of kids will fight across the ball and try and kick it back for a goal and you change over. But it was really learning in those, you know, those schoolyard games were more an extension of your own backyard because I suppose the other thing too in a country town was not unusual that every few houses you'd have a paddock or a block or a, or a spare space. So this is well before there were housing estates. So again, you'd be encouraged to, well, if you couldn't, if you didn't have a big enough backyard to, to do sport in, you can just go a few blocks or a few doors down and there'd be plenty of space to go and go and do things. And that's where, I suppose, appeal um, for that grew. And I, I, I came through an era where uh, probably my first consciousness of cricket was at that juncture of traditional and World Series cricket. And um, so, you know, I suppose personalities like the Chapels, the Lilies, the Thompsons, they were amplified, you know, to, to a ridiculous amount. And when you're a, when you're a t- you know, 10, 11-year-old kid in a small country town, all of a sudden, what, they play cricket at night time? There's lights and there's colour. How's that all How's that all sort of all work? So it was really, really appealing, really appealing. Yeah, oh, very excited. Yeah, yeah, the whole, yeah Jerry Packer um, uh, bringing the excitement to the game. So did you actually play to any kind of level or did it just or, or just at school level? Did you, did you make it to rep, rep level or anything? Uh, a very, very modest, mediocre um, career, uh, Paul. And thank you. I think that if you've counted my entries on LinkedIn, well done, because 26 is probably about my batting average being generous. <laughs> um, oh, look, I think as a junior, oh, I was fairly fortunate there. I, in country regions, I made a few rep teams in, in, in that sort of space yet. Um, most of my most of my cricket was played country level. I played played my first senior cricket as a thirteen year old. Um, that's in, in senior men's senior men's grade. And look, I probably might have might have been okay, but at the age of seventeen, you find things like cars and girls and and social activities, and it sort of tends to distract you a little bit. And I gravitated more towards football at that age. Um, but then then came to Melbourne, and I've been in Melbourne ever ever since, and played. Played a lot of suburban cricket early on, which is uh, which has been you know, an incredible experience in so many ways in life. And then got to my sort of thirties and wanted to pursue a coaching path. So to do that, I felt I had to be involved in premier cricket, so your, your grade cricket sort of equivalent. And spent a number of years just in the you know, as a as a captain in the lower grades and playing more of a development role and helping players sort of come through into that space. So I've been very fortunate that over that time in, in my coaching, I've I've worked with some amazing players. Um, from, from test players all the way through through the ranks at, at different ages, different times. But as a as a player myself, no, a very, very, very modest, uh, very ordinary um, all-rounder who would sometimes keep, sometimes bowl, sometimes bat. If anything, probably I learnt that most of my career I would insert myself in a game because I did have the good fortune of being captain a lot. I would insert myself in a situation where it was needed. So if it was a... If it was an overcast day and a crappy deck and things weren't great, I'd open the batting and try and you know just 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 hold up and, and do my space. Um, if conditions were good and fine, okay, guys, it's your turn to go and enjoy yourselves, and I'll just sit back and watch and and, and take that take that sort of role. Um, but I was very lucky just to finish within in, in my last playing 
time with Richmond Cricket Club um, that I was able to be surrounded by a number of excellent coaches and mentors and people that that were really strong on on junior development and game development, and they made sure that that was a, a cultural uh, acceptance across the whole entire whole entire club. Because it's different. Just one thing, Mike. Like in in some states in Australia, the grade cricket structure is outstanding. The example I'll give is that so Mike Hussey has played his whole career for Wanneroo as an under nine player all the way through. Justin Langer at Scarborough, Matthew Hayden at Valleys. They've they've had their whole career go through one club. In Victoria, quite that's not the same structure. You actually got to sort of get yourself into Premier cricket somehow eventually. So you might have played for a suburban team or a school team or some other sort of team somehow, and then your 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 Premier grade club might be the fourth or fifth club that you actually belong to, and that's probably it's a little bit different. I don't think it's a great pathway, um, but yeah, once once you get in there, the trying to make it as easy for others to to find their way through was a was a path I went on. Yeah, and no, I I totally agree with you. I think if we can keep people in one club, that gets you people get that attach emotional attachment to that club, um, and even totally. past their playing days, they'll go back and they'll support. Be it on committees, be it the treasurer, be it the person who uh, helps um, cut the grass, or whatever it is. Uh, and that applies across all sports. Um, oh, totally. I was, I was very, I was very fortunate just to one uh, in my original club at Marutna, One of the first jobs as a fourteen-year-old playing senior cricket because I also did a daily paper round before before school. And my job was that when the paper round was finished at seven o'clock on a Wednesday, I would go down to the turf wicket and I'd be the first one to roll the wicket for the week. So you learn those sort of skills about what makes a club happen. You have to have a facility, and part of your facility is taking care of your. And um, that was my job was to roll the wicket. So it's a, those sorts of, I suppose, things are probably a bit forgotten about these days when it comes to we, we tend to have a, oh, what time we play and we rock up, we play, and then once, once that's done, we move on to the next next activity. But, yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's one of the things that we have a problem here in New Zealand with, with our rugby is that up until high school, you play for a club, then it's high school rugby. And then after high school rugby, uh, you go back to playing club rugby. But, it's, but if you've taken those, those years away from your club, how do you get that emotional attachment? How do you get people to come back? Um, and I think that, that's so. Yeah, I think trying to keep things in a club in a, in a one, keep that emotional attachment all the way through is, a, is mm. definitely a good way of doing it. So, so it looks like your first sort of big coaching role um, was with the Fitzroy Doncaster um, <laughs> club back in uh, sort of the back about two thousand and eight, where you started yeah, as, as, as kind of that. That was your first coaching thing. But prior to that. Um, all that way you're doing, you say you weren't a professional player, so involved in um, in steel, in plastics, in mm-hmm. cycling, mm-hmm. Um, working your way up through through management. Um, ever ever had that, that 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 struggle of kind of well, I've got to be, I've got all this travel I've got to do during the week, being being the uh, national sales manager. Um, but how do I how do I still make it to cricket and, and, and juggling all that kind of fun? Yeah, and also throw in the mix having a family as well, which is always a, a complicated um, at, at, at times. And uh, look, I mean, honestly, probably I look back on it now and think, yeah, I, I probably could have been a better, a better, more attentive father at, at certain times during that experience. But um, you sort of, it's in that pursuit of, of chasing aspiration or enjoyment or, or happiness, and um, it was a constant battle. It was a constant battle with trying to, to work things through. I was sort of always lucky that when I stepped into the coaching side of things, Paul, that I uh, was able to surround myself. I suppose I regard myself always as a pretty good organizer and a connector. And 
And I, so I didn't bring into the coaching space because I had no playing capability. There was no real ego about, oh, this is how I did it back in my day, follow me because I've been there. So I looked at, well, what other skills can I bring to the table here? And, and I tried to always apply a degree of a sense of order, um, professional behaviour and standards, and work at introducing people to each other because you'll always pick up some useful belief from, from, from a conversation with somebody. And early on, I was able to um, convince a number of people that were friends or colleagues or, or, or known to help me on the coaching side. So if I was absent for any reason, I was able to bring them into the space as well. And um, you know, on, I suppose on that coaching journey, it, it, it sort of a, a links to where you are from a little while ago, but a fellow called Peter Roach, who was a CEO of Northern Districts for quite some time, and Roachy before that was a first-class Victorian keeper in cricket, um, now Cricket Australia general manager, but Peter was a, was a great influence on me um, at the end of his playing career, just in keeping things in, in, in balance and introducing me to some, some people. And I'll always be indebted to him for that. And he was the one that um, got me into Fitzroy after a stint before at Hawthorne Monash, where I'd been there for previous two years. But they, that, was the, that was the time where um, cricket was probably also going through a bit of a change. The, the, T20, the T20 game was starting to come onto the, the circuit. And uh, I had had the good fortune of working with some profile players in that in that space, and one that um, didn't spend a lot of time with at club cricket, but a fellow called Dirk Nanners, um, who was coming through le- left arm fast bowler, and Dirk was sort of coming through the international scene. I think in one year back in the, that decade, he'd played for like eight T Twenty franchises in the one in the one year, and and he also played for two. He played for Holland and Australia in the in the one year as well. He played for Holland because um, that was his native country of birth and then when Australia realised actually how good he was they quickly <laughs> pulled him in to play for Australia yet around that he was already um, playing on the on the county scene as a T20 specialist and um, as well as for Victoria here in Australia and he, a number of conversations with Dirk you know an amazing guy he had a Japanese ski lodge he played saxophone and cricket for him was like just something to do it was like nowhere near the uh, sort of elite professionalism yet he was very very good and, and he just listening to him talk about how the game was changing globally sort of made me sort of realise uh, quickly that, okay, that you can bring that into your coaching side of things. And just the last story there was uh, the, the time at Fitzroy um, reconnected me with a, a young fellow called Glenn Maxwell, um, who was coming through then as an 18-year-old and sort of facing sort of crossroads in, in, in where his career could have gone and, and to see where he's sort of taken it to over um, many, many years since then, not just here, but I've had the pleasure of watching him play IPL for Kings Eleven Punjab. And you see the adulation for a player for his talent and his, his ability. Um, it's just such a such an incredibly grateful thing to, to view. Um, because in, in the end, the players want to put on a good show. They want to entertain. They want to be, they want to have fun. They want to show off all their skills. And, um, and they want to win. <laughs> and they want to win. And they want to win. So, yeah, great it, it, experience I, I sort of feel. You know, the Fitzroy Doncaster gave me a lot of opportunity in that in that period of time. But the looking at this also, you but I guess about six years before you'd, you'd moved from basically a pretty industrial um, yeah. work life to um, to, yeah. to work for, work for and still are part of uh, Interact Sports. So how did yeah. you jump from a uh, <laughs> yeah from, from sort of plastics recycling to to getting into this into the business side of sport? Yes, so as, as things will happen through life, so true story. So in 1990, I'd worked for the Pratt family in the Visi Group for six years, and an amazingly great experience. Um, it got to a stage where uh, things quite weren't working out, and, and it came time to, to part ways, and 
I, I became a casualty of a of a management changeover. That happens in life. That was 1999. Uh, I hadn't been overseas properly then, so I bought some tickets for the 99 World Cup in the UK, and I basically followed the Australian cricket team around. Um, so I went from every match through the Super Six series through to the final. And while I was over there through that six seven week period, um, there used to be a uh, a weekly magazine you could pick up in the walkabout tavern that would tell you the results and stuff that was happening all over the world. And they would carry footy results from um, back back home, if, if you like. And when I came back, I was playing cricket then with South Yarra and we were developing a website for our club. And the purpose of the website was to put some information on there, some scores, some, um, uh, some photos, some sponsored details, some news. And then we started – we started converting what was a, a program called Statman that we used to calculate the presentation night awards. And we used the basis of that to create a scorecard so that they could appear on our club website. And we then quickly realized that, okay, you follow logic through. The scorecard has two teams. They belong to a competition. And the club we were at, we had four, um, four teams at our club that were in two different associations. So theoretically, I could play – I was the captain coach of A grade. I could play on the Saturday, but if I wanted to, I could play Sunday on the mercantile comp and different different game, different different match if I wanted to. Um, yet when we're trying to manage it from an IT perspective in the back end, we wanted to avoid duplication of, of player records and information. So that became a bit of a hobby project over the next sort of two or three years. And that caused the formation of what became Interact Sports. So we were just trying to find a we were just trying to find a better way for our career club to capture what was going on and, and and show it to the world and it just continued to extend from that. We we felt we had a pretty good idea um, and then just checked in with some other clubs in the space and other people we knew around the area because the internet was starting to take off and, yeah, and off we off we went from there. And that's an Interact Sport um, today. So where are we? 20 or well, nearly 20 years later on, employs 26 people in West Melbourne, Services Cricket Australia, the ECB, Netball Australia, Football Federation Australia, and has basically got a, even though cricket is the focus, now does live streaming as well. Yet cricket um, on the platform underneath all that, in any sport with a ball and a score, there's a solution there for it. So yeah, that that sort of took us from um, just I suppose in essence trying to find something to do for our club and do it better, and then eventually we turned into a business, and it became good fun. <laughs> So the walkabout pub Shepherd's Bush was the inter- <laughs> the, uh, was the start of all that. Wow! Um, now, if you anyone who uh, has had an OE in London um, from Australia and also from New Zealand for that matter will have mm. been will, will probably have been to the walkabout pub unless you're a teetotaler. And even if you are, you've probably been down there as well. It is yeah, it's 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 a famous institution um, yeah. over there in London. Uh, the other thing I guess that um, you might have had around that time, and I'm really, we're going to be showing our ages here, uh, is. Do, do, do you remember seeing Teletext and CFAX on the TV over in the UK? Yeah, because yeah. that was another yeah. thing that um, a lot of uh, South Africans and um, Aussies and Kiwis would go over to the UK and go, "Wow, look, I can get, actually get the local cricket scores um, on the telly <laughs> on CFAX." And so, yes, you would. And uh, those 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 services don't exist now because the internet has taken over. But um, mm. yeah, that was the kind of service that you were taking to the next level, I guess, or next stage, really. Over, um, yeah. over, over, over here. Yeah, we wanted, we wanted people to understand that um, what was in your scorebook was actually valuable to a whole range of people apart from those playing on the day. And if anything, I suppose a catalyst point was in the early days when we went to Cricket Australia and started to sort of 
work through where it could go, which took seven years to work through in the end. Yet in that time, one of the conversations, uh, so Ricky Ponting at the time was captain of Australia. And if you wanted to, and Ricky had played with Mowbray Cricket Club in Launceston since the age of 13, 14. Yet if you wanted to see any of Ricky's junior record, which is quite illustrious, you actually had to physically go to Mowbray Cricket Club and virtually walk in and take the scorecards off the shelf and to see what, he, see what he did. Or you might go to the local newspaper and go for the microfish and, and trawl through it. Um, yet we were coming up in an era, so I think it was about 06, 07, it might be a year or two out. And I, always, and I recall um, there was an under-19 carnival where Victoria played New South Wales. And at that age group, you had, in the Victorian team, you had people like Aaron Finch, Peter Neville, um, Peter Siddle, Adam Crossway, New South Wales had Moises Enriques, Dave Warner, John Hastings, Usman Kawaja, um, Tom Cooper, uh, I forgot my name, Steve O'Keefe. Yet in that era, at that age, well, we, we knew Aaron Finch from Colac via Geelong, not through playing Victoria. We knew Peter Siddle from Morwell through Dandenong, um, Peter Neville from Baldwin through Melbourne. So these players were coming up and they're – even at that age, they were playing rep cricket underage, yet their whole career was already on, online. And here I am now, I'm now got, I've got four sons, but my youngest two are eight and five, and the eight-year-old who's playing modified under-10 rules, they expect their match every Saturday to be scored live on the My Cricket app so they can compare what's happened on the spot. And that's just, the, that's just I suppose, where we're, we're seeing move, the generation coming through. It's on demand. Mm-hmm. And on demand, it can be entertainment, it can be social media, it can be, it can be stats. They're not going to wait. So when we started this 18 years ago, we'd score the match. And at the end of the match, I would write that scorecard out on a piece of paper. I would fax that piece of paper to the administrator. The administrator would take the fax and enter it into AAP. And that's on a Saturday. And then maybe by Monday, it might be in the paper. Yep. Yep. Now you've... <laughs> Now we're yeah. doing it live. Now it's all yeah. live. Um, absolutely, and there's uh, and there's multiple sources of it now as well, uh, which is uh, kind of um, kind of kind of competing there. Hmm. So uh, alongside running that, yep, you're going through your coaching career. Say we talked about yep. Foot Fitzroy, um, yep. you become a, uh, a T20 um, champions for uh, Pran Pranran. Uh, yeah, Pran Cricket Club, uh, famous for uh, so Sam Loxton. Um, who played with Bradman, come from the Pran Career Club. And Bob Parrish was one of the eminent administrators there. So very strong connection to the club in into Australian cricket. And when I was asked to go and coach at Pran, I, I felt really fortunate because so I was able to step into an environment where four players with international experience and not, not available all the time in a great environment, yet to be able to learn from them, um, understand what they'd gone through in life. Dave Hussey had been a tremendous help for us because uh, his father, Ted, God bless Ted, no longer with us, but Ted was a great help for us in business in WA back in the early days in opening some doors to us because Ted ran the Wanneroo Cricket Club um, in, in the background. And, yeah, being able to – and particularly that these guys were at the forefront, more so David and probably Bryce were going through that white ball sort of change from being one day T20 and just a, a complete sponge. Then, of course, every year Chris Rogers – uh, he would come back from – so he was – this is before he was at Middlesex. So he would have been at Gloucestershire, I think, from memory. But um, yet yeah, he, he'd already spent five or six years playing internationally. So to be able to learn from those fellows in the dressing room was absolutely incredible, incredible experience. And they would give you 
and we're all still good friends. Now we've, we've maintained that friendship all through through life. Um, Chris was a major reason in opening some doors for me to go and spend some time with Middlesex in the UK, which was just a, a incredible experience firsthand. Um, but cricket, you know, cricket takes you through in so many different ways. You don't have to have been the best player, or but if you if you're, you know if you're a good person, you treat each other well and try to help each other, you'll find a way find a way through. Um, and um, yeah, and, and along the way, we, we we won a few we won a few games as well, which was always tremendously um, enjoyable to celebrate those with those people. And it seems funny that when you see you know guys like that or players like that. They're on TV. They're at the highest end of their profile. You know, Dave Hussey played for Kolkata Knight Riders. You know, he, amazing player in the IPL. Yet he got as much of an enjoyment playing club cricket in final, in finals because it's like you get to go back and do something with with your, your mates who are, who are just genuinely good good people that, that you've grown up with. So yeah, that, that was a great space to be involved with. Yeah, and that's where one, where part of the I think the, the thinking here in, in in junior sports in New Zealand is changing over the last couple of years from being, okay, how do we have a pathway for players to progress as quickly as they can and be successful to, okay, people stay in sport because they're playing with their mates. Um, yeah. It's enjoyable. It's not about getting them the best skills um, as quickly as possible or as or, they, or it's about getting them enjoying the sport. Then they'll, yeah. naturally, then they'll pick up those skills um, along the way. And yeah, doing it, staying with your mates is a big part of a big part. Of it, it is. And the other part from that, even though cricket was what bound us together, Paul, but yet around that, we all had kids. Our, our other halves, our other partners, our wives all get along. And they all get along well still. They're all, they're all good friends today. So you create that sort of community that, that probably might come more naturally in a country town environment where you're all a bit closer together. Yet the same sort of thing happens happens in that sort of space. So, you know, cricket was the was the connector for us and, and feel very grateful for that. Yeah, and then um, next step up, then Melbourne Cricket Club, uh, and also across to some some time with Middlesex. Uh, yeah, as, as a guest there. Now, I was a member of Middlesex Cricket Club, uh, two thousand three oh. through so about oh, the two thousand three, two thousand four, um, at the Oval. Um, yeah, going down there watching, there's be me and about ten other people watching a county game at the weekend. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, two two uh, obviously. The MCG there and Oval, yep. I mean, two fantastic grounds to be Lords. to to to, to be. Um, uh, Middlesex. Oh, sorry, sorry. I was sorry. Lords, Lords. Uh, sorry, is it? Yeah, I was a member of Surrey Cricket Club Lords. for two years. Yeah. Not 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 Middlesex. Sorry, the yeah, Lords. I'm um, getting myself all mixed up now. Um, but Lords and yeah, and the MCG, two two of the iconic grounds in world cricket, um, and to be coaching a team on that, that gets to play on that patch must have been fantastic. Oh, that oh, I could speak forever about the Middlesex experience. I was fortunate enough to go there for eight eight weeks and. Richard Scott was the coach at the time, and you know they, they allowed me to immerse myself totally across the entire platform. So from the first eleven through the second eleven through the academy squad, and that was uh, practice days at at Lords, match day at Lords in in the T Twenty One day stuff at the time. Um, also did did a couple of away matches down at uh, down at Sussex at Brighton. Sussex, yeah, Sussex at Brighton played played down there, and you just. Yeah, you know, the, just the r- ridiculous interactions you get with different players at, at certain stages. So, I remember at Sussex, I had the chance to spend an hour and a quarter in the nets with Yasser Arafat, who was a up and coming T20. Just off, he wasn't playing until the Friday, and he wanted someone to help him out. He asked me, he said, "Oh, can you?" And he was the opposition. And then even getting down to the match day experience with Middlesex, and you've got Owen Morgan, David Malam, Stephen Finn, these sort of guys in in, in the team. Paul Sterling, um, yeah, a number of incredible sort of internationals. And being up, but more so, just being able to see how they prepare and what they go through behind the scenes was just a, 
an incredible experience. And Lords itself on match day, my goodness, if there was a – yeah, it does take a while to sort of absorb what's going on sort of out there amongst it um, at, at, at county level. Um, probably right, one of those, Lords, Lords, Lords is a funny place. I, mean, I, I admit that I'm, I'm going back 20 years now, um, or nearly 20 years. But if you go and watch a county game there as a non-member, there is mm-hmm. literally you and a about six other people in this ground um, and you're allowed in one stand they don't open up the other stands um, that you can watch it from and you go along for, for, for international and finding a patch of grass just to sit down on and have a picnic is in or, or just have a just have a, grab a bite for a sandwich is impossible uh, yeah. the, the place is very different under both days but it's still a wonderful place oh amazing and and, and to be able to take my family and, and I've got all these photos of Finn at the time he was just turned three and his, his whole excitement of going to Lords on match day as a three-year-old was being able to take – because they let spectators come out at the lunch break onto the onto the arena, which is a beautiful thing. And and uh, one day we were playing Nottingham. I think there might have been probably three or 4,000 there. So it was a good you know, good size good size crowd on a Sunday playing Nottingham. So um, – and yet Finn's highlight was that being able to take out his double-decker buses and play with them on the Lord's surface. And I've got these wonderful photos of, of like from ground level of the, the magnificent Lord's dressing room in the background, yet Finn's entire focus was on the buses and playing with the, as a, the young fella. So um, he loves his cricket, but that'll be a, yeah, just memories are, from that are, are amazing. So yeah, being, I've been very, very fortunate in connecting with some incredible people in, um, well, through cricket, but have been become very, very deep friends through life and, and still hold them very, very dear, very, very dear. You talk, you talk about that, that magic turf. Um, I've, I've got a paperweight somewhere which uh, is about this sort of um, size with that's basically turf encapsulated in in, um, uh, in in plastic. I have got a camera case from 1999. This is before, so when you took actual camera. I've got a camera case from a film where I took some turf from Lords after the 99 World Cup final, Australia beat Pakistan, and it's still in my fridge today. In your fridge? Oh, my word. Yep. <laughs> Things we do, absolutely. Lords, get on to him and and and, um, and find him for, for damaging the turf. I mean, jeez. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Taller. Um, yeah. well, you're, you're talking about that setup that you've got there on the technology side, which is any yep. any any sport that's got a ball and a score, yep. um, you can put yep. up there. Um, so you got involved with the Australian Sports Technologies Network, but I guess you're yep. talking with different sports about how you improve that. Uh, that sort of has it always been on the kind of reporting side, or has it also been on the, uh, I guess, because the, the technology from a reporting point of view, there's also technology from a um, sports science point of view. Yeah, yes, it's been more on the it's been more on the technology around community involvement, participation, and I suppose now we're seeing digital content come come through from that. Um, hasn't really been involved on the on the sports science side of things too much, and I've been very fortunate where I've had that balance that in in commercial professional life, uh, access to that digital data, sort of sometimes geeky sort of stuff, but I've got, had the chance to balance it out and go and actually play in the park with a group of players um, from a whole different range, range of backgrounds. And you get to see, um, I suppose, the effects of your work into their space and into their into their sort of families. Um, yeah, the sports science, and massive admiration for people like Catapult, as an example, who've taken that to a complete different different art form again. And they've really focused really heavily on that. Whereas our, our intent was more to that if you played for um, Rotorua under 11s, then yep, you could be on the platform. Or if you played for the Auckland Aces, yep, you can be on the platform as well. 
yet the ability to find that detail as you, you didn't need to be like Ricky Ponding, go to the cricket club, go to the shelf, pull it down and see what went on. Didn't matter where, where, where you were. So, and obviously they don't yeah, wear white gloves to do that as well, so you don't damage the paper. <laughs> um. Sport for all, Paul. Sport for all. <laughs> and a totally different sport, but um, yeah. Bowls Australia. I mean, how did you get involved with them? Bowls Australia. So I spent some time on the board there. Uh, I was an appointed director from a digital perspective. So Bowls Australia were going through a transformation um, where they were looking for people outside the sport specifically to come in and bring their experiences. And on the board, um, so most boards, there's elected directors and there's appointed directors. And so the elected directors were from the States or from a bowls background. And at that time, uh, Mel Jones, the broadcaster on Cricket Now, or ex-Australian player. So Mel Jones and I were the, both the appointed directors. And because bowls was shifting into the more digital exposure, um, Mel, this is going back a number of years, she was already doing some work on Fox and seeing how the broadcast element was changing. And I suppose I brought from it more the community aspect where um, what sort of tools and products were going to be used in the in, in the sport ahead. So I came under bowls, the bowls board there for a short period of time, which was around the Commonwealth Games sort of period as, as well, which was in the Gold Coast and, um, and, and the sport here was probably taking a more prominent position across the across the globe. Yet underpinning it, ironically, most of the people in head office of bowls that I either worked with or related to, I knew through cricket. <laughs> <laughs> they, they didn't come from a they didn't come from a bowls background. They were working in the sport, but the actual the the CEO, the game dev people, um, I, I knew them through through our cricket history. So it's yeah. But I think once you're involved in sport, it, it's interesting how it sort of goes in different different directions. And I think a lot of people see bowls as being a older person sport. Um, yeah. Side of it, and and it's not. might be, and it's well, <laughs> it has that kind of that that, that kind of uh, connotation um, around it. And yet, when I mean, having dealt with bowls New Zealand here, um, I found that they've been some of the more most dynamic administration groups. Uh, yeah. Around and again, funny enough, you're talking about being the, the the cricket connection. Again, they've got the cricket connection. One of the guys who helped run the cricket World Cup here in in um, in Australia, uh, sorry, yep. New Zealand, um, yep. is now part of the Bowls uh, New Zealand um, setup. So, yeah, it's interesting how they have both how how that crossover happens there. Two sports where your grass or your or the lawn or whatever um, the, the weave um, whatever you, you're dealing with is extremely important. Um, and uh, played in good weather, I think. Yeah, so yeah, quite, quite actually more similarities than, you, than, than, than at first sight you might think. It's it's also just from a, if you take this take the sporting element away from it for a moment, it's actually quite a unique um, activity in that from a, a sport perspective, if I just focus on Australia, so from a government a government perspective, it draws funding, support, and attention from Sport Australia for participation, activity, competition. Plus, it's, also, it's a medal sport, the Com Games. <clears throat> Yet it also draws support, funding and assistance from the health department. It's about active living lifestyle that fits into different demographics. It also fits across, it, it's, it's very welcoming and embracing for players of all abilities. Now, whether that, whether that disability be vision impaired, whether it be hearing impaired, or whether it be a physical disability, um, having seen firsthand the, the Bowles community, um, particularly at, at, at the elite level, um, Josh, um, they're actually there are mixed teams. Where, but the the players, so Josh, even though he he qualifies for the disability category, he actually plays in the open category. 
because he's generally bloody good. <laughs> and that's a sort of inclusion and diversity, which is quite uncommon in a lot of other, other sports. And, and bowls has probably forgotten a little bit about that because we do see it as being an older sport. Yet uh, I, I live in, in a suburban Fitzroy, um, Paul. So hipster, hipster heaven, you would, you would say. And our, our local bowls club, Fitzroy Bowls Club, that do compete on TV in the National League, sponsored by Bluntstone. I can boot, boot, Bluntstone Boots. I can absolutely assure the average age demographic is not my nana. <laughs> <laughs> much, much broader than that. And and as, as, as I would say, if you go down to Fitzroy Bowls Club on a Thursday, Friday or Saturday, the place is heaving. It's, See, it's, 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 it's yeah, it, it's it's an amazing sport that is uh, that's kind of an underground sport uh, that's got an awful lot of representation. Now, uh, I do know in New Zealand that they're they're aware that they they have to be, because it does have this 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 older image. They're aware they have to keep recruiting um, a lot because oh. yeah, obviously people die off, unfortunately. Um, but um, but you say, but also you said that one of their strengths is that they do have a lot of seventy or eighty year olds who are there who are retired. And who are happy to spend a lot of time with their club. Um, so again, volunteers isn't a big problem for them on the whole. No, um, and they bring, uh, bring wisdom. Bring, they bring wisdom. They bring experience. They bring mentoring capability. So I would encourage your audience, Paul, wherever you are in New Zealand, North or South Island, if you're curious about your bowls club, go knock on the door and walk in. Yep, absolutely. Um, and you've been involved in, um, as I say, 26 things, and we're, 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 <laughs> it's, um, but. Um, Bangalore, you you ended up you, yeah. Been, you've been a cricket coach oh. over there for well, it says for seven years, um, but I can see you're in Australia now. You're not in Bangalore, so um, <laughs> no. Very, you... So a very dear friend, Irfan Sayat, is the founder of the KIOC Academy in Bangalore, in India. And to put that in context, the KIOC Academy has around about two thousand eight hundred students, of which about fifteen hundred plus will go there every day of the week, Monday to Sunday. Um, it's open from 6.30 in the morning until 9.30 at night. There's two-hour classes every day. And typically from early April until the middle of May in their summer holiday break, um, the academy runs what they call summer camp. That goes for 43 days. And in that 43 days, they like to bring over a series of specialist coaches and to, to be there for certain periods of time. And in the Indian culture, it's seen to be – uh, important that that your coaches it's a balance of internationals and there'll be some pro so there'll be some profile people like Craig McDermott's been there in the past Ian Chapel yeah, obviously at, at the top end of the top of the tree but there are people like John Brearley from Lancashire who a lot of people won't know of yet John Brearley who's now I think in his late 60s 70s he's one of the most amazing batting coaches in the world and he's been going there every year for 12 years I've had uh, this would have been my eighth year in a row uh, selfishly so selfishly I love that time of year because the IPL's on I get to go to the IPL while it's happening. Um, it's, a, it's a great spiritual sort of retreat to really ground yourself back in the game and be just, if you're a cricket nuffy, it's, it's, it's like it's an, unbel- it's an unbelievable existence. And uh, I feel very fortunate that Irfan brings myself over. In the last two years, um, sorry, every, every year I've made a habit where I take somebody with me who's never been to India before. And that's, that's had some interesting times. Um, the last two years, uh, so Tom Scolay from Cricket Mentoring, so Tom, two years ago, he came with me for the first time individually. And then last year, we took uh, 12 others with us 
who hadn't been to India before as well to share that complete sort of Indian experience. So it's a little, it's a little sort of um, window in, in, in my world where I'm, I'm very fortunate to be able to go there. You know, I sort of like to take people with me and sort of give them um, a view of what cricket life is in India because apart from the cricket side of things, we go, we train, we play, we coach the other players there. And there are players there from the age of four all the way through to 30. When IPL's on, um, the, the players there, the players there, that's, that's, that's their practice away from their regular stuff. So it's got a, an amazing sort of breadth of audience of people who, who, who come to the academy. It's, it's just an incredible facility, very high standard, um, yet we also balance it with community activities. So we'll go to orphanages, we'll go in the streets and we'll spend some time around and, and, and mix with the, the Indian community. And, and the people are always so welcoming. Um, you know, one other little thing, I always, and I miss it this year terribly, uh, I have a very balanced diet. Paul, I like most things in life. Yet the Indian experience, I tend to that, – that's when I'll go vegetarian. And because the food – and I, I do a lot of my vegetables, but full-on vegetarian in India, it is just an incredibly great experience, and you feel much better for it. So um, if if you're able to in your life, even if you go to either, either Chennai, Mumbai, or, or, or Bangalore for a period, IPL is the most just – it's like um, – so Chinnaswamy Stadium in Bangalore, it's 48,000 people. It's a dry event, no alcohol. So they're fueled on Pepsi, Pecoras, and Domino's pizza, and they go they go off like a frog in a sock for four hours, mate. At uh, at a sound louder than a Metallica concert, it's just it's 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 ridiculous. Um, no and mate, the thing lassies. is, wow, pardon? No mango lassies. It's all on. It's all. It's all. It's all, it's all the, the the American uh, the American brands <laughs> have got themselves in there. Jeez, it's an amazing live experience, and the atmosphere is incredible, and and people are. Yeah, they'll, they'll obviously Bangalore has Virat Kohli, AB De Villiers, so that just goes off like hard to imagine. Yet yeah, they'll cheer as loudly for Steve Smith, who's playing for Rajasthan Royals. They'll cheer as loudly for a Glenn Maxwell playing for Kings Eleven Punjab. They just want to see good cricket and and, and see a good contest. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a wonderful lens to to look through. And it, um, I had a, had a, I mean, you know, players like Brendan McCullum, an incredible success and so well appreciated. In fact, there's so many. To be honest, like now is the IPL, we are IPL 10 or 11 now. When, when you go to a match live, and apart from the players, you look around the arena at those who are assistant coaches or trainers or media or security, there's a lot of people there from New Zealand Australia that play that support scene in the background, in, in the media side of things too. Ian Smith's been, he's a regular over there. Daryl Tuffy, I think, from memory. The, um, yeah, I must admit, I'll be honest. Um, the, the IPL was what turned me off cricket. Um, as you can say, I was, I was a member at, uh, at, at Surrey County Cricket. I used to go to go. To, I, I would ha- I would sit in front of the TV as a kid and watch a five day Test match. But um, mm-hmm. when a when uh, and I think it was really Hayden that was the, 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 that was the catalyst for this because he had an IPL team, he had a, um, a Shoot Shield team, and also an English County team, and all three had qualified for the Champions Cup or whatever it's called. And you're like. Yeah. Seriously, how can it be a how can it be a serious competition when the same player has played for three of the teams that are qualified for it? And at that point, I kind of lost. That, that, that's when I lost. Um, uh, sort of fell out of love with the whole the whole thing. Uh, just be, as you said, it became that. As you said that, that player who played for eight different T Twenty teams in the same. The same yeah, Dirk Yeah. There's just no. Where's the connection with the actual with with the, the emotional connections with these teams, if they are just going to keep switching between, we, between clubs. Yeah, I suppose we've all got to find we've all got to find our way in working with India ahead 
for the the the, the, the greatness of the game. And you were seen firsthand um, beating India in a, in a Test match last last summer. How that you know, how how well that's received by by the local audience. And um, we're very fortunate here that well, fingers crossed, depending on on COVID, that the Indian team will be touring here later later this year, and it'll be probably in this calendar year, probably close to the, one of the biggest events on the planet. Um, when it comes to a TV broadcast audience of interest, because there's not much else going on at the moment, apart from your rugby, and God, God bless you all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, except I got drenched on Saturday night uh, watching it. Anyway, um, that, but that's another story. Um, the uh, oh yeah, no, it, it is. Uh, and as as the boys who who host our cricket show, um, swinging from the hip on a Thursday evening, eight pm here on New Zealand Sports Radio. Uh, yeah, the IPL is. They'll, they'll, they'll say very clearly. Yeah, the IPL is what gave because kind of what everything else has to um, kind of work around. Um, yeah, if the yeah. IPL says we're moving to this window, then everyone else tries to gets out of the way. It's not a uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's it's a, it's a massively successful tournament. Fantastic. Interesting. Um, but... Might to ask ask you guys the question on the show because look, I suppose I've seen over the years of going and seeing that event regularly, um, seeing the improvement in a player like Trent Bolt, who's absolutely become a master of his craft and I, I would sort of put forward a case that he has learned so much from being in the IPL environment and being around players from other countries and learning all the nuances yet then going out and having that experience under lights prime time 50,000 plus screaming fans every single you know an incredible sense of, of pressure and expectation to perform because they expect every ball you've got to be you've got to be on you can't hide anywhere and then to see him come back and play for his country to the standard that he has, as as, as one example, um, I, I think that, that that's that's been a, a major factor in where his improvement has has come come along, rather than relying purely upon. And don't get me wrong, I mean, domestic situation is, is is very 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 strong. It is adds a layer of um, mastery yep. to that sort of, that sort of space. So that's where I think the IPL is probably not not, not appreciated well enough for what it can provide. And I think I mean, back back in the day, county cricket did um, was was the place where 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 the your top internationals would go and have a yeah. season. Um, uh, now you've got sort of IPL and the, they they can travel with different um, uh, to different twenty twenty tournaments. But what the big thing it does do is it gives you exposure to different types of surface to play on, yeah. um, yep. which is massive. Uh, and I yep. think so you're quite right. Yeah, get, getting that exposure to something different, um, whether uh, um, and also as you say the IPL. It's the biggest draw, so you're going to have the top coaches, the top players. You're going to you're going to be in a, a very good high uh, high performance environment. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, so so yeah, it's, it's it's going to develop players. Don't get me wrong. From that point of view, it's, it's great. From my point, of view, but from a fan's point of view, who is a member of a club, to yeah. see someone play for you one week and play for someone else the next week, you're like, <clears throat> my team, disconnect. my team, yeah. kind of thing. That, yeah. that, that, that's where I find uh, found the difficulties. Um, yeah. We're overrunning. Um, That's right. On time, so um, but um, the, I, the 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 main reason that I wanted to talk to you, uh, we haven't even gotten <laughs> to that yet, um, because uh, as, as as we talked about there with the uh, with the bowls um, and the the access to 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 to, to different um, uh, to, to to accessibility of the sport, um, yep. sport accessibility is something that, that that really does interest me. Uh, and you've you've been involved for a couple of years now with the Australian Blind Cricket Team. The vision impaired, um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so how did, uh, um, A, how did that come about? And, uh, yep. and then I guess, B, let's talk about how they actually um, play the sport. Yeah, good question. Yeah. So I, I completed my, uh, I was fortunate enough where I completed my level three 
high performance coaching with Cricket Australia program. So the level three, how that works here. Um, so typically the level three has an intake of 30 people per year and you've got to be nominated by, so you've got to be nominated by your state and endorsed to be part of it. So it's a national national program and, and it's a, a live-in program. So eight days at the Academy in Brisbane, um, you cover 58 modules in that eight days of which only about 10% actually relate to cricket. Um, the rest are more about um, diet, nutrition, sports science, emotional intelligence, planning, operations, logistics, a whole range of things that, because the expectation is that, and it's, pro- it's one thing that which Cricket Australia has done super well is make sure that players who are coming to the end of their career, um, if they want to be in cricket, they go for the right qualification process. So in my group, my year, we had people like Michael Klinger, Xavier Doherty, um, Johan Boiter, Matthew Elliott, and we had a very, very absolute incredible, and how it's worked out, we had an absolutely incredibly famous, who became a very famous cricket person who actually didn't do the course. Only 29 of us did it. One didn't. One didn't show up because his wife uh, gave birth to their daughter two days before he was supposed to start. And the reason why he enrolled for the level three was because he was actually going to come to Melbourne and start working in Kookaburra. And his name is Tim Payne. Now, I'm not a cricket person anymore, so I recognise the name, but I can't think why. He's become the captain of Australia, Paul. Oh, right. so. <laughs> but he was supposed to be he – was, he was on a coaching course and he's become the captain of Australia. Wow. He was on the coach. He was on the coaching course because he was starting to prepare for life after cricket. Right. Anyway, point being, after you finish the course, you then got twelve months to go through a series of um, programs and papers and prepare uh, report on how you've taken that experience into the into your your life. And then at the end of the twelve months, you're assessed by the panel. And if you're assessed, you qualify level three coach. And then you can then you're able to apply for if you wanted to a big bash or a first class or a, and the the qualification is international um, accreditation and when and part of the assessment program is okay, you've got it, and they go, well, what do you do next? Where does it where does it go? And um, I, I was sort of I'd already done about probably 13, 14 years of coaching in Premier cricket, and was wanting to sort of I didn't need to be the person in control. I didn't need to be the person at the front. I was more than happy to play a supporting role of some sort in the background, on the side, and move cones around or you know pack up therabands, do whatever was needed. And when we looked at the gaps in my experience, the two things that stood out were, um, one, doing more in the women's side of things, which I already had a little bit, but I did want to do more. And the second part was around, um, so the women's space around tournaments. So whether you go on a road for a six or eight week period, um, rather than just a week to week competition. And the second part was a disability space. And then Cricket Australia had taken um, direct control of uh, vision impaired or blind cricket, deaf cricket, and all abilities, so players with a, with a disability mentally of some sort, and had run had started to run a state program for each a national carnival each year. Um, I was reached out to by by some of the Victorian staff, and I said, "Yeah, well, why not get involved?" Like, I, actually, to be honest, I, I when I was approached, um, I sat and worked out about fifteen reasons why I shouldn't do it, and then that made me realise you should do it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I was still coaching at the time, Melbourne Melbourne Cricket Club, and so trying to coach a, a premier club and, and and the state program with vision impaired. Yeah, it was a bit of a contrast, but it was probably the most one of the most enjoyable experiences of my life. And you basically in, in the vision impaired, and I call that because even though it's referred to as blind cricket and has been forever and a day, there's no, and that's totally okay, nothing wrong with that. But the reality is, most of the players aren't actually blind. There are there, there are three levels of of classification B1, B2, and B3. So B1, yep, you're totally blind. You can't see a thing. 
So you're relying on 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 sound, on on smell, and your senses to to understand and and your support and help from other players. Sorry, on um, smell. Oh, we'll, we'll get yeah. into that in a second. Okay, keep keep, keep yep. going. Yep. Uh, B B two. You've got um, some vision capability, and that could be something like tunnel vision. So the imagination there is that if you've if you're looking through, say, like a, a, a toilet roll holder, for example, or a, you, you can see you can see precisely down that very very narrow lens. Outside of that, it's blurry, it's fuzzy. You can't you can't see a thing. So you've got no depth perception. You might be able to see what's going on, but when it comes to moving towards the ball, depth perception is difficult. Uh, B three um, is then getting to the higher end of the scale. And if I use some players from say Pakistan or Afghanistan. They may have been in the military, had an accident, lost an eye or partial an eye, and but the other eye is 100%. So they've got – some would argue that players like Chris Rogers, who played test cricket for Australia, yeah, he's actually vision impaired te- technically, yet he's played at the highest level of, of, of the game. Um, so in your team structure, uh, when it gets too competitive, you've got to have a mix of B1, B2 and B3. You can't be all of the one one type. So it's to oh, create some sort of like balance. Three grades of – of cricket, it's no, one grade, no. and that's how you have put two of these teams together. Correct. Yep. And uh, the ball, I've got some of the characters downstairs. So the, the ball is a, it's a little bit, so the international ball is a little bit, little bit similar in size to a cricket ball, but it's generally white. It's a very hard plastic, and it's got like a, a, a rattling mechanism inside. Um, the ball has to be, the ball has to bounce. So when you're bowling it, uh, the ball has to bounce in the bowler's half of the pitch first. Mm-hmm. If it, if it goes into the other half of the pitch, it's a no ball or, or a free hit. Um, uh, Daniel Pritchard, who plays the Victorian Australian team, Daniel's been clocked at over 100 k's an hour. And I can assure you it, <laughs> I, I can assure you that uh, one of those balls at 100 k's an hour, it, bloody, it, it hurts. Mm-hmm. And in, in the competitive field, if a B2, like Daniel, who's got partial sight, is bowling to a B1, who's got no sight, there's no holding back. They're, they're, full, they're full on. So there's no like, oh, he can't – no, 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 you, you, you find, you find, find a way. So, so he's, it he's, says, bowling, he's bowling overarm normally. No, underarm. It's under, oh, under, underarm. Underarm because um, it's, it's, it's got to bounce in your half first before the second half. But then also brings into – there's a tactical element of the game, Paul, where um, you're allowed to roll the ball all, all the way. Mm-hmm. And you can take pace on, pace off, different angle, different variations – there's wide there's wide rules in place, no different to to, to conventional cricket. Yep. The difference is though that when, from a batting perspective, if a B one player, if a if a B sorry not if when a B one player scores a run, it's yep. double. Oh, okay. So if you hit a boundary, that's eight. Cool. Yep. And yep. Or and, if they clear the boundary, it's twelve. Yeah, correct. And and in in, in to put it in perspective. Um, in context, sorry, in context, a vision-impaired game of T20 cricket, the scoring is not dissimilar to a conventional game. If we, We'd be aiming to score between 160 and 180 to win the match. Yep. Um, there's, there's more extras at times because some of the B1s, more wides, more extras. Um, and they're also, one thing they're also tactically, they're, they're bloody good at sneaking runs. Um, I was going to say, so the, the, the B1s, do they have anyone to sort of guide them they, when they run? They have a runner. Yeah, they have they a runner. Run. Okay. So the, the B1 will be on strike, and he'll have a B2 or a B3 to act as a runner. Mm-hmm. And also then with the B3s in the field, generally you'll set them up closer in the ring. They have to wear a helmet. Um, 
but they have different movement patterns that they can work off sound to block the ball with their body. And it's, to, to see it live, um, and I can send you a link later of some video of a highlights, highlights package that Cricket Australia streamed a few years ago. To see it live, it is so uplifting and, and incredible that the, the determination from the players, I would, from my own experience, Middlesex dressing room playing Nottingham, Victoria playing South Australia in vision impaired cricket, it's no different, mate. They are, <laughs> it is no different. The, the, the ability, yes, but the, the inner passion, the drive and the will to succeed, it is no different at, at all. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's, it's a growing part of the game. I mean, in, in, in Victoria now, we have it's, uh, two divisions of, of, of teams play regular competition. Um, New South Wales has got a strong competition together now and getting excellent support from their state governing body in, in facilities. Um, we're not quite at the same level of competition internationally yet with other countries. That's purely because of the volume. I mean, people who grow up with it, forget the impairment, people who grew up in Pakistan, India or Afghanistan, they're playing cricket. Yep. They're not waiting for winter to come and go and play rugby. They're playing cricket all, all year round. So, you know, we are seeing um, there's, there's, a, there's a gap in difference of ability there. Yet, yet we're getting closer because um, skill level is, is, is quite extraordinary here. And I think also it's becoming more accepting to uh, players of a younger age who, who are coming through. So in our national squad now, and there was supposed to be a, there was supposed to be a training camp program which has been cancelled because of what we're going through. Yet of the, I think, 15, 15 16 players in the squad, about seven were under the age of 21. Okay. Yet they'd had between three to six years of actually playing competitively, so they weren't. It wasn't token. Isn't actually good enough to be at that yeah. at that sort of level. So yeah. And how, um, how old can they play through to? Through to? Is 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 it? Oh, uh, is it somewhere in their forties and fifties. I was gonna say yeah, but come on, I imagine it's more of a skill based rather than physical based yeah. uh, one. So hence, yes, you, you you can play for much longer in your uh, have a longer career because of the yeah, because it's a skill based sport. Uh, Correct. Although, the, although some of the guys in the team, also it's not, not just guys, girls as well, but some of the players in the team who have those boundary rider roles in, in a match, they do a truckload of running when it comes to ground they have to cover if you've got a, a good player who's able to sort of place the ball into the gaps in the outfield. So there is an element of fitness there as well. It finishes from a coaching perspective, though, Paul, really um, it's allowed me as a coach in that space, bless you, to um, – Bring together all the things that you're taught, all all your skills of communication, of effectiveness, because it's pretty hard to have a have a meaningful team meeting and you rely on eye contact. You know, the half the guys can't see. <laughs> yeah, learning, learning how to yeah, I guess yeah, learning new new, new communication techniques. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and just to get finished on before, so you really do understand that. that it might sound funny, but the players do have a reliance upon their other senses, so their sound, the smell. Um, just in in being comfortable in that environment to to perform, they do pick up. You know, it's it's a it's quite a remarkable thing. So f- feel free. It's an easy thing to volunteer. It's not not massively intensive as far as effort that has to go into it. If I compare, so typically running a a practice session for the vision impaired, which is no different. We do nets and we do outfielding, and it's just the same. Just it's it's at a slower pace. And what I would probably what I would normally do with a, a if I had say twenty first grade cricketers in an hour and a half, it might take two and a half hours for the vision impaired to go through the same lot of drills because things are slowed slowed down a little bit. Um, it's much more very very enjoyable when you see the look on their face and, and, the, and the noise between them when 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 they do something do something good. So it's it's uplifting. It's brilliant. Oh, cool! That's very good. 
Um, the so so when you're talking about the different gaps between performance levels, uh, are, so are, are Pakistan, India, the sort of the, the leading the way internationally? Is that and then beneath that yep. you've got a, what Australia, England. Um, yeah, we're probably yeah Australia, England probably. Oh, I, I can't really get a gauge on where England are right now directly because we're supposed to go there this year, which obviously we're not. That's not happening. Um, and that would have been the first, I suppose, proper engagement between the countries. It's been a bit mixed in the past. Yet, uh, if I go back to our two series ago, um, Pakistan would, for them against us, they would score but in a in a in a forty over match, they would score between three hundred and four hundred. Right. And we'd sort of get between about 220, sort of 250, and that would probably see us out in that in that sort of space. Um, yeah, probably that, that, that's where the gap was. There was probably about a 25, 30% gap. But in their case, it was more just the volume and being able to play yeah. naturally from a – you know, we, we'd love to play in, in Melbourne all year round, but we've got weather, which is a, a concern this sort of time of the year. And and, and, to finish, and just to – actually, just to make a point there, here's me – when I first started the vision impaired thinking, oh, I'll be able to take these guys to the MCG and get access to all these wonderful facilities. We'll be able to practice like more regularly. And we started doing that. And after the third session, the players said, coach, they said, we can't come here anymore. I said, what's wrong? I said, well, it's, it's nice, but we can't hear, we can't use our, 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 our hearing because there's so many echoes and we're hearing each other's voices indoors. And you go to the MCG nets, which is, you know, six nets indoors. It's a great, top level facility but then you go yeah you can't because you're relying upon the bowler to announce he's releasing the ball and all the players communicating with voice and for them it was ineffective because the, the sound reverberating just just distorted their ability to concentrate so you sort of learned from a coach that okay in that case here I'm here I'm thinking more volume will help them become better yep there's actually less is but yet having a better quality session outdoors was more meaningful for them than doing something indoors. Yeah, so you sort of learn those those literacies as well. Or hmm. well, the next thing is to say, um, MCG, can you please uh, line the walls and the roof with um, sound deadening foam, please, uh, like, like 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 a sound studio. Um, Possibly, yeah. The other, the other the other route down that one. Um, always looking for solution rather than uh, uh, for these things. Um, the I've I've, uh, I've um, gone blank as so I was going with this, but uh, look, it, it's yeah, it's it's fantastic to see that that that. Um, sorry, you touched and you said, uh, is it mixed, um, as, as in men men and female play to get in the same teams? Yes. Or, or yeah, can yeah, can that, that that that's allowable. That's allowable. That's encouraged. And it's really because, although we do, although now uh, on on the uh, two years ago, for the first time, uh, there were three state teams for deaf. So that was uh, – for, for, sorry, there were three state female teams for mm. deaf, deaf cricket. Sorry, apologies. So we're, we're recognising there's the, – the numbers are significant enough to suggest that the population is there to be involved. What the sports haven't done very well and where Cricket Australia is a massive help is creating the awareness of it. Mm. And, you know, little thing – this is a little thing. I've seen this firsthand the last two years in a row. A small thing, yet at the Adelaide Test match um, on the second day – the, the, the lunch break is virtually overtaken by all the South Australian disability teams to be to come out to demonstrate that then generally they're actually pretty bloody good. They win a trophy most years. They get to do a lap of honour as well, which is good luck, good luck to them. Yet they make that, that lunch break, that the focus is on the, on the 
the, the all ability sort of space, whether it be deaf, vision impaired, or 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 or, or um or or all or, or impaired all ability. So just having that more greater awareness at an Adelaide Oval packed with you know twenty odd thousand people or so is is something that Cricket Australia does exceptionally well. And and also they they do use their online media pretty well for it. Also, I just hope they can keep keep going ahead because the audience is out there. It's just a matter of just drawing them in. Not unlike our comment before, but go knock on your bowls club. You'll be amazed at how to <laughs> just go and find out. Um, last thing too, sorry, when I actually um, when I went through the 15 reasons why I didn't want to coach in this space and then sat back and between myself and Carol and my partner, we worked out between us. We had more than 10, we had more than 10 friends, associates or colleagues where we knew their children had a disability of some sort. So not saying cricket was, but it was like, this is not going to go away in our society. Kids will grow up with autism or um, some some form of disability that if we can get them encouraged with sport, no matter what it may be, it will make their life more fulfilling. They'll meet more friends. They'll become more accepted. They'll be inspired by their own achievements. And that's something that we can that's something we can all do, no matter where we come from, what our background is, because any sporting space we step onto the world should be a sport for all. Yep. Everybody should be welcome. And you know, and they're all fans, aren't they? Absolutely. Uh, it's um, well, actually, I prefer using the word supporters rather than fans, because uh, supporters uplift and um, support the sport, whereas uh, fans can sometimes be a bit uh, bashing of a sport um, if if things don't uh, go the way they think it should do. <laughs> but um, that, I think that's a fantastic way to finish. Thank you so much um, for your time, Andrew. And we've not even touched on your real job either, which um, <laughs> which is around organising volunteers for, um, for for big events. Uh, and Some those, other time. Another, another time. But those include, those do include um, various uh, sporting World Cups, etc. So, yeah, not only, uh, so yes, yeah, so again, you're, you're another, another, another space that you got involved in, um, in, in the sport. Uh, I guess you're one of those people that they say, look, if you want to get something done, find someone busy. Um, and, uh, Yes, they might not have time, but hey, they're, they're busy for a reason. It's because they get things done. I think you're one of those people, so it's it's, um, it's been great to have have uh, have the time uh, with you today. Thank you, Paul. But in all honesty, never ever busy. There's just things to do, and you've shown this. What you've done, 150 shows over 85 days, uh, something like that. Yes. Keep yep. going, mate. Keep going. So, uh, yeah, loving it, and uh, it's, um, it's 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 been an absolute pleasure doing all these and meeting some wonderful people uh, with these long talks. So please, folks, uh, do subscribe to. Uh, the uh, New Zealand Sport Radio Facebook page. Uh, you can get back, go Thank back you. and look at the uh, 20 odd uh, long form interviews I've had with people such as the CEO of Waka Armour Volleyball. Um, we've also talked with All Blacks such as Rennie Ranger uh, and various other coaches um, uh, as, as well. So go um, back and look at those. And also, you can listen to us on the go. Just search for New Zealand Sports Radio uh, on your podcatcher, be that iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Acast or whatever your favorite podcatcher is. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Cool fact. 
a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.